You're listening to the Tiny Course Empire podcast with Cindy Bidar. This is episode number 11, and it's part two of a two-part series where I'm teaching you how to get an education in online marketing for free. Welcome to the Tiny Course Empire podcast, a weekly show dedicated to helping you launch and grow your digital course business, even if you don't have a big team or a six-figure ads budget. We'll help you design smart systems, take consistent action, and achieve massive success on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Cindy Bedar. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Tiny Course Empire podcast. This is part two, as I said, of a two-part series all about getting creative and learning all the things you need to know about online business for free. If you missed last week's episode, you'll find it at tinycourseempire.com slash 10. And the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode will be at tinycourseempire.com slash 11. Over this past weekend, I rewatched a favorite movie from a few years ago called The Martian. If you haven't seen it, it's about an astronaut who gets stranded alone on Mars. He's facing a minimum of four years alone before NASA is going to be able to send a rescue ship to him. And he's got about a year's worth of food. So he's got to figure out how to grow food on a planet where nothing grows. It's a really good movie. And from what I understand, the science holds up too. So, you know, in case you ever find yourself stranded on Mars, you can take what you learn in that movie and maybe feed yourself. But why am I telling you about this here on this business podcast? I really doubt any of us are going to go to Mars anytime soon, but something this character says near the end of the movie reminded me of being in business. Enter the obligatory spoiler alert here, okay? So skip ahead a few seconds if you don't want to know how this movie ends. Now, if you're still here, here's what Mark Watney says to a group of astronauts in training. He says, at some point, everything's going to go south on you. Everything's going to go south and you're going to say, this is it. This is how I end. Now, you can either accept that or you can get to work. That's all it is. You just begin. You do the math. You solve one problem and you solve the next one and then the next. And if you solve enough problems, you get to go home. And you know what? That same thing works in business too. You solve one problem and then you solve the next and the next. Sometimes they're big problems that mean the difference between, I don't know, having your website up and running or not. And sometimes they're so insignificant that they don't matter to anybody but you. But the way to keep moving forward is to just keep solving those problems. And that's what today's episode is all about. It's about how to solve problems, even when you think you don't know what you're doing or you haven't had the right training or taken the right course. Because the truth is, you really can figure it out if you just know what to look for and where to find it. Last week, we talked about reverse engineering the big picture strategies to improve your business. So that covers things like deconstructing a webinar funnel or segmenting your email list by using the simple one question survey that we saw or talked about. We didn't see it. Um, or even what not to do in your business, right? Today, though, we're going to dig deeper and go beyond the overall strategy and actually uncover the tools that your competitors and others are using in their business. Or maybe as Mark Watney would say, we're going to solve some problems. 
And I want you to understand why this is an important skill to have. So I've got some examples for you of the tactics that I've reverse engineered in this way in just the past few weeks in my business. So like I said, last week was all about big picture strategy. And on this episode, we're going to focus on the tactics. So basically, last week, we looked at how you can decide what you want to do to improve your business systems in some way. And this week, we're going to figure out how to do it. That's the real difference between strategies and tactics, by the way. Strategy is the what and tactics are the how. And in the online world, tactics or how to actually accomplish something is largely about knowing what tools to use. When you see a strategy that you'd like to emulate, if you know what tool they're using in the process, then you know it's something you can do as well. And listen, before we go any further, I should probably put a disclaimer here. I've used the word emulate, which means to imitate or replicate. In other words, to copy. But listen, I'm not telling you to copy anything. That would not be ethical. But as you'll see later in this episode, it is entirely possible to do. You can literally take someone's website code and recreate an entire sales funnel with just some copy and paste. Don't do that. What we're after here is inspiration and to dramatically cut the technical learning curve. We're not out to copy their success, but we do want to learn from it. Okay, so with that out of the way, here's the thing. Like I said earlier, this reverse engineering process is something I do constantly in my business. If you listened to last week's episode, then you may remember that I advised you to just slow down in your daily trips around the internet so that you could pay more attention to what other people are doing. That kind of reverse engineering is great for finding new ideas, but more often than not, I'm looking for something specific. Maybe you are too. In fact, I know you are if you're trying to improve your business processes. You probably have a pretty good idea of the things that you'd like to change. So here's some examples that have come up for me over the past few weeks. Maybe you have similar ones. One big one was when our hosting provider lost a server and all of my sites were down for several days. We knew it was time to make a change, so I went in search of a new web host. Now, if you've ever done a search online for something like best web hosting, then you know that what you're going to find is page after page after page of affiliate links. Now, look, I'm an affiliate marketer, too. I've got no beef with affiliate links and reviews. But in this case, I wanted to look beyond the obvious hosting accounts or the hosting providers that seem to be everywhere. I wanted to know who my competitors were actually using to host their websites. So I dug in did a little bit of reverse engineering magic, and I figured it out. Then there's my website theme. Right now as I'm writing this, we're in the process of rebranding the website. Don't tell anybody. That's going to be just our secret because we're not ready to roll it out yet, but we are in the process of that. And anyway, for a lot of different reasons, I'm on the hunt for a new theme. So as I'm browsing around the internet, I'm checking out lots of themes that I like the look of, and I'm keeping a list so I can go back to look at them in more detail later. Closely related to that is the page builders. You know that I use and love Thrive Architect, but that doesn't mean that there's not something better out there. So when I come across nice looking pages, I always check to see how they're built. Another thing I researched this way was podcasting. When I started this podcast, I wanted to make sure that I got the technical bits right, right from the beginning. 
It's important to me that I maintain consistency, and that means starting as I intend to continue. In this case, since I know that Apple Podcasts is so important to the growth of a show, I wanted to make sure I got the file formatting and tagging just right. And I remembered hearing one of my favorite podcasters, Brooke Castillo from the Life Coach School podcast, and she was talking about hiring a podcast producer when she was just starting her show. She specifically hired somebody who was trained by John Lee Dumas. And if you don't know him, he's the guy behind the daily interview show, Entrepreneurs on Fire. He's also a multimillionaire and he teaches a highly recommended podcasting course. Naturally, I figured anything that works for Brooke Castillo will work for me, but I didn't want to have to hire a producer to make it happen. So I did a little digging and I reverse engineered her setup. Then, just a few weeks ago, my husband, who's also my business partner, he and I sat down and started thinking about how we can really up-level the business in the next couple of years. One thing we seriously considered is changing our shopping cart. Right now, we're using Amember, and while it's a great platform and I highly recommend it, we thought we might be better served on a bigger, more widely used cart. So I did what I do, and I went snooping around in other people's shopping carts to see what they're using. Again, I could have just Googled something like best shopping carts for course creators, and I did do that, of course, but what you get is a lot of reviews, and I'm saying that with air quotes right now, but you get a lot of reviews that may or may not be useful. I wanted to know what my competitors and others in my niche are actually using, not which one pays the best affiliate commissions. So to find out, I had to do a little digging. One thing I'm always looking at, sometimes just out of curiosity and because it's so easy to see, is email providers. I'm not in the market for a new provider. I use and still love ActiveCampaign, but I am endlessly curious. So anytime I see something unusual in an email, say it's a button or an image, or I see something I don't like, maybe spacing that's off or text that's too small to read, I'll take a peek and see who the email provider is. I do this not because I'm looking to move, as I said, but because people ask me all the time what I think about this provider or that one. So it's helpful, helpful to me to have this kind of insight. Plus, it's just so easy to find out what email platform somebody's using. Something else I'm looking to upgrade is our Six Figure Systems Q&A call platform. Right now, I use Zoom, but as the membership continues to grow, we're going to outgrow that platform, so I need to find a different option. I'd also really love to give subscribers who aren't yet members a chance to log into a live call so they can see how they work, but I don't want them logging in as a participant because that would be too distracting. I want them in viewer-only mode. Now, I know that there must be a way to live stream the calls while still giving members participant access, and that's got me looking at how other people manage similar calls, and I've found several options to try out. Now that I've given you some ideas of things that I'm actively researching, and hopefully you've got some ideas of your own in mind as well, let's talk about how you can actually find out what tools people are using. I'm going to start with the easiest methods, and then we'll work our way up to the most technical. I'll tell you what I used in each of the examples I just gave you, and also how you can make them work for you. To start with, one of the most basic and useful methods for reverse engineering the tactics another business owner uses is simply to keep a swipe file. If you've never heard of swipe files, 
It's a tool that comes from the copywriting world. The idea is very simple. Just keep copies of headlines, calls to actions, or other little tidbits of text that are proven to convert. In other words, the advertisements that make the sales, then use them as inspiration when you sit down to write your own sales copy. I frequently save things like emails, sales pages, Facebook ads, graphics I like, or even color schemes. Then when I want to write a compelling email or I need an attention grabbing subject line, I can look through my swipe files for inspiration. Of course, you never want to copy anybody outright. Like we talked about earlier, that's not ethical or in some cases it's not even legal, but inspiration, heck yeah, grab all the inspiration you can get. Or as Austin Kleon says, learn to steal like an artist. The next place to look, and I'll be honest, I am often guilty of forgetting this one, but the next place to look is to see if the website owner has a start here page or a recommended resources page. A lot of times what they're recommending is what they actually use. For example, if you go to my resources page, you'll find links to Active Campaign, Thrive Suite, Liquid Web, Post Gopher, Studio Press themes, and a bunch of other tools I use in my business. Amy Porterfield has a slightly different version of this on her website. She breaks her recommended tools down into categories so you can see what she recommends if you're brand new or if you're more advanced, which is a really clever strategy I might like to consider too. So see, there I go, stealing ideas from someone else. Something else that people do, and I do have this on my website, is to write a blog post or a page that details all of the tools in use. I got so many questions about the platform I use for the member site that I sat down and wrote the whole thing up as a blog post a few months ago. Now, whenever anybody asks, I can simply send them that link. So if you're curious about the tools someone's using in their own business, try doing a search of their site for pages with words like start here or recommended resources. And a little backdoor tip is to watch for income reports. In some niches, and honestly, this is probably more common in the business advice world than in anywhere than anywhere else, but in some niches, bloggers and others share income reports. But not only do they share income reports, but many of them also share their expenses, and that's where the gold is. For example, one blogger I follow is John Dykstra of fatstacksblog.com. John builds and then often sells niche websites, and he publishes an income report at the end of every month. On that income report, I can see who he hosts his sites with, what email platform he uses, what tool he's using for keyword research, and what he's using for social scheduling, and even where he buys his stock photos. Beyond the obvious, though, there are some online tools that you can use as well. I told you a few minutes ago that one thing I researched a lot was hosting providers. It turns out that's pretty easy to reverse engineer with a few limitations. You can go to sites like whohostthis.com or sitechecker.pro, which will do a DNS lookup to try to determine who the hosting provider is for any website you enter. This is a pretty good start, but you do need to be aware that it's not 100% accurate. If you see, for example, that a site is hosted by Cloudflare, 
That's not actually what's happening. The site is most likely hosted elsewhere and it's using Cloudflare's DNS to improve the site speed and to protect against a DDoS or a distributed denial of service attack. The same might be true if you see that a site is hosted by Google. It might be hosted on Google servers. They do offer website hosting, but it's just as likely that the site is hosted elsewhere and is just using Google's DNS for better speed. You can also look at the Whois information for a website by visiting whois.com slash whois and entering the domain name. You'll get a bunch of information, including the name servers for that domain, which will sometimes tell you who the hosting company is. For example, if you enter cindybidar.com in the search at whois.com, you will see my name servers are ns.liquidweb.com and ns1.liquidweb.com. It's pretty easy from there to determine who my hosting provider is. As an aside, there's another reason you may need to do a Whois search, so you want to keep that URL handy. The reason you may need to do that is if you suspect that the site is in violation of your copyright. In other words, if the site has stolen your content and you can't reach them through the usual contact form or email channels. A Whois lookup is a good way to find contact info you might not find on the website itself, and you can also contact their hosting company to remove or to request removal of the content from the site. Another thing you might want to know about a website, though, is the theme that it's using. I know a lot of times I've been out surfing the web and I come across a really nice looking site and I'm curious how it's built. Knowing the WordPress theme, or even if it's WordPress at all, is a really good place to start. And there's a couple of ways that you can find the theme for any WordPress site. The easiest way is to just use a site that checks for you, such as whatwpthemeisthat.com or wpthemedetector.com. Either of those two sites will tell you what the theme is, and if it's a custom theme, they'll often tell you who designed it. That can be really handy if you're looking for a new website designer. They'll also tell you what plugins are used on the site, and that can also be useful to know. The other way to find out what theme is being used is to just look at the source code yourself. You can view the page source code from any browser, and if you find a file called something like style.css and open that up, it will often have the name of the theme right at the top. That said, it's probably just a whole lot easier to just plug the URL into wpthemedetector.com than it is to wade through a bunch of source code to find the CSS file. Another way to find all kinds of information about a website is to use a site called builtwith.com. Plug any URL into that site and you'll find out what CMS or content management system it's using. In other words, is it WordPress or Shopify or Squarespace or something else? You'll also see what analytics tracker it uses, which ad networks are on the site, which plugins are running, and whether or not they're free or paid, and where the site is hosted. This is the site that I used when I was researching shopping carts. If you plug in a link to a checkout page and you scroll down to the e-commerce section, you'll see what cart's being used. The detailed technology profile tab on that site gives you even more information like whether an app or a plugin is paid or free, but there's a daily limit on the number of sites you can view that information about unless you upgrade to a paid account. Honestly, though, you'll get everything you need to know just from the basic search.
Another easy way to check which apps or software a site uses is to pay attention to the link structure as you're clicking. For example, if you want to know which email provider somebody's using, which is something that I look at all the time, as I said, you can just hover over the unsubscribe link and almost always figure it out from there. If the link has us13.list-manage in it somewhere, that's a sure sign that it's MailChimp. If it has drip email in the link, it's drip. An active hosted link is from ActiveCampaign, and ConvertKit will show a ConvertKit-mail link. You can also look in the address bar of your browser and sometimes find information about pages there. When I was looking at shopping carts, I could often tell just from the URL if the page was page I was looking at was built with Infusionsoft or Entreport or Thrivecart. And there are others who leave obvious clues in the address bar as well. So make sure to check there if you're researching solutions that you might want to try. Okay, now we're going to get a little bit techy here, but stick with me because I have a couple of tricks up my sleeve that's going to make this next bit easier for you. If you've ever been to a website and maybe you saw a clever pop-up or maybe an opt-in box and you want to find out how it was created, what do you do? Well, if you're lucky, you might find a powered by link near the bottom of the form. That's the easy way, but you won't always find them. But if you don't see that link, there's something else you can do to find out what tool or app the site is using, and that's by powering up your browser's inspect tool. In my theme browsing that I mentioned earlier, I sometimes come across interesting page layouts that I'd like to emulate, but I know it's not always the theme that controls those. Sometimes it's a third-party page builder. I can use Built With to know what plugins are in use on the site as a whole, but if I want to know exactly how a page is constructed, I have to dig a little deeper, and that's where the Inspect tool is going to come in really handy for you. Here's an example. I really like the look of David Risley's website at Blog Marketing Academy. It's very clean and has a minimalist feel that really appeals to me. Plus, he's a smart blogger who's been around for years, so he knows a thing or two about building websites. I know he tests just about everything. So if he's using a page builder, it's because it passed his usability testing, and it might be something that I want to look at using as well. Using WPThemeDetector.com, I can see that his blog uses the BuddyPress theme, which makes sense. He runs a membership, and that theme is built for that purpose. But taking a look at their demo blog, it doesn't really look like what I see at BlogMarketingAcademy.com, which makes me think that David's using a page builder. I can use the Inspect tool to find out for sure. In Chrome, all I have to do is right-click anywhere on the page, and then at the bottom of the menu that pops up from that right-click, I see Inspect. If I click on that, a panel opens at the bottom of my web browser with the page source on one side and the CSS on the right. Then across the top of this panel are some tabs that will show me other information, but what I'm looking for is way off to the left. It's a little icon that looks like a square with an arrow pointing to its center. And if I click on this icon, it enables the element inspector. If you try it in your browser, you'll see that that little icon will turn blue, which tells you that it's been selected. Then, as you move your mouse over the page, the different elements on the page will be highlighted as you pass over them, 
and you'll see pop-ups that give you more information about each one. You'll see, for example, what font is used in that space and what color it is. You'll also see at the top of the pop-up what's called the CSS selector. That's just the name for the element and it tells the site what that section of the page should look like. So if you're hovering over a headline, that section might show H1 or H2 for the headline level. If you're looking at an image, it will have something like IMG dot something something. And if you're hovering over a section of the page, it will start with div, which is just HTML shorthand for a content division. In other words, it's a container that holds content on your page. But here's the interesting thing. Those div tags, as they're called, use names that are specific to the page builder. So it takes about five seconds to see that this blog page I'm looking at over on David Risley's site is built with Elementor. Now, it's not always that easy. Sometimes the element names are pretty obscure, in which case you might have to do some Googling to figure it out. But if you really want to know how that pop-up was created or what's powering that countdown timer or even how a sales page is laid out, don't ignore the inspect tool in your browser. It can give you all kinds of interesting information when you know where to look. Now, I know that was a little techy, and thanks for sticking with me, but I do want to encourage you to at least try it out. The more you know about how websites work, the better you'll be able to make your own business. But let's back it down a notch or two and look at some special use cases that you might want to investigate. These are a little bit less techy. I mentioned earlier that one thing I researched recently was podcasting and that one of my favorite podcasters hired a well-trained producer to get her show up and running. I decided to take a poke around and see how her show was put together so I could use similar tactics. The first thing I did was I downloaded an episode of her show to my computer. So I grabbed the actual MP3 file right from the download link on her page and I saved it to my desktop. Then I opened that file in my audio editor. I use Audacity, which is a free app that has both Mac and PC versions, just in case you're looking to start your own podcast. What I was specifically looking for in this case was the metadata on the file. MP3 files use what are called ID3 tags to hold information about the creator of the audio, the title, and some other details. And I wanted to make sure that I got those right because, like I said, Apple Podcasts and other podcast directories use that information. By opening some other podcast episodes and looking at the metadata that was included, I could then pretty easily figure out how I should structure my own ID3 tags. Now, of course, I could have just Googled this. You'll find article after article with tips for adding ID3 tags to podcasts. But what I was specifically looking for was actual use cases. I wanted to see how hugely popular shows manage their ID3 tags, not just what some random blogger recommends I do. And in about five minutes, I had my answer and I was able to set up my own episodes in a way that makes sense to me and then will help it get found in the podcast directories. Then the next thing I wanted to know about podcasting is where to host the media files. I can't just upload them to my server because my hosting account is not optimized for streaming media. 
I know there are a lot of hosting platforms out there, but again, I was looking for what was actually being used. In this case, all I had to do was look at the player on the Life Coach School's website, and when I hovered over the link to download the episode, I can see that the file source is Libsyn. I checked a few other favorite shows and found most of them use Libsyn as well, so that was an easy decision. I didn't have to read a bunch of reviews or compare plans or sign up for trials. I just trusted what I see other people using who I respect and who are successful. Finally, there's one more thing I always want to know, and that's where do bloggers and others find their images? The more content I create, the more images I find I need, and I can spend hours and hours browsing through Canva or Deposit Photo and not really find just the right image to use. Honestly, sometimes it feels like I spend as much time looking for just the right image as I spend writing a podcast episode, which is nuts. Maybe you can relate. Anyway, sometimes what happens is I'll find a similar image to what I'm looking for on someone else's site. And I think if I just knew where that came from, maybe I could find what I'm looking for. So there's a couple of different ways to do this. First, you're going to want to right click on the image in your browser and choose open image in a new tab. Then take a look at the address bar and see what the image is named. That's the part just before the .jpg or .png at the end of the URL. If the blogger or the site owner is using good SEO, the name will have been changed to a keyword. But in a lot of cases, they don't bother, and you'll see something like deposit photos dash some long ID number .jpg. So now you know that the image came from deposit photos, and you can do a search on that site to find something similar. But if the image has been retitled, you can still find out where it came from by doing a reverse image search in Google. In Chrome, you can do this from the right-click menu. Just choose Search Google for Image, and in the search results, you see if it came from a stock photo site and which one. If you're not looking for that exact image but for something similar, then on the search results page, click on Visually Similar Images, and look at the domains listed below each image that you like. You'll see the usual stock photo sites along with some free photo sites, as well as blog and other websites that use similar images. Make sure though, if you're gonna use an image that you're getting it from an actual stock photo or free photo site. I know I probably don't have to tell you that, but just in case it's not clear, you should never use images from any source that does not explicitly grant you the license to use the image. So today we've looked at nine different ways where you can play detective with just a few simple tools and some creative ingenuity to discover exactly how successful business owners are doing everything from writing email subject lines to building entire websites. But there's one last thing you're probably wondering. Maybe you're saying to yourself right now, okay, Cindy, that's all fine and good, but just knowing the tools to use isn't enough if I don't know how to use them. And of course, you'd be right. And here's how you can easily get past that hurdle when it crops up. First, I want you to start with a software developer. Most of them, if they're any good, have plenty of training resources available to help even brand new business owners get up and running fast. 
The developers of tools like Elementor and Thrive Suite and the teams that create beautiful themes and all of those handy apps you might see know that if you can't figure out how to use them, you won't stick around. So start with the resource library or FAQ pages for the tools that you're considering. YouTube is another fantastic resource for learning how to configure and use online software or pretty much just about anything else for that matter. And finally, check for Facebook groups or forums. Some software and apps also have user communities where you'll find answers to just about any question you might have. But above all else, I want you to remember this. There is nothing about online marketing that you cannot master. I have 100% faith in you to figure it out. So go do a little detective work and dig in because you got this. And now I would love to hear from you. Leave me a comment on the show notes at tinycourseempire.com slash 11 and tell me what strategies and tactics from other business owners are inspiring you and which ones you'll be implementing. I'd love to hear about your ideas. Have a terrific day, everyone, and I'll talk to you again next week. If you like what you hear on the Tiny Course Empire podcast, you're going to love all of the courses you'll find inside my Six Figure Systems membership. That's my monthly membership where we dig into online marketing for regular people like you and me. We don't do big launches or have the big headaches and the big expenses that come with them. Instead, we focus on creating repeatable, sustainable systems that continue to grow over time and that don't suck up all of our energy or require a 10-person team to manage. You can come see what we're all about at sixfiguresystems.com, and I'll see you on the inside.